Take your Bibles open to 1 John. We left, left off last week with the idea of how important it is to walk in the light. Remember that was, and you can go back, by the way, online, relook at the messages. Um, and what we're seeing is that John is really good at connecting the idea of light and love very closely. Let's uh, set the table so we kind of are all thinking in the same train of thought this morning. Uh, 1 John verse 1, 7, remember this one, it says, If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sins. In other words, as we are obedient, and we are walking in his word, and we're walking in the light, then we have this connection with other people who are doing the same thing. That's called fellowship. Uh, you could call it Christian love. It's got a lot of different titles, but that's what that means. Then in 1 John chapter 2, we're going to see this today. Whoever says, I know him, but, keeps his command, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word is in him, truly the love of God is perfected. And then 1 John 2, 6, whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now, lest you think John is an absolute genius, which he is, but... You're wondering, how in the world did he pull that stuff from? Uh, where did he get the ideas from? The answer is, well, from Jesus himself, right? Look at, uh, it'll be up on the screen. You don't have to turn there, but in John's gospel, chapter 12, Jesus says this, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. Well, let's take those thoughts and we're going to move forward with that this morning, but that'll get us on track, think in the right direction. Would you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, as we come, we come to you who are the light. Lord, we live in a world of darkness. We live in a world of muck. We live in a world of shades. And Lord, uh, your light is able to penetrate that, Lord. Uh, Lord, when we open a closet door, the darkness does not swallow the light, but the light penetrates the darkness. And we are asking for that this morning. We're asking that your light, the light of your spirit, would penetrate the darkness in our lives, the darkness in our culture. Lord, we're asking that you would do something for us that we cannot do for ourselves and for all our friends here are here lord or online watching that you would your light would penetrate our thoughts while we're thinking this morning so we give that to you with great hope and we ask uh, that we could trust your faithfulness in that lord thank you for being kind to us and pray this in your name amen all right so we're going to start chapter two in next new section and uh this is going to start out with the old new commandment that uh, John is talking about. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 7 says this, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you heard. Now, there's two possible beginnings here in mind that John might be referring to. Nobody's exactly sure which one. The first one is the beginning uh, if he's speaking in the beginning, is going back to Moses, 
when Israel as a nation started, saying the commandments that were given back then. Beginning number two could be seen in the light of their conversion when John first discipled them, and he said, that was what we taught you in the beginning. Uh, both will work for our purposes this morning. Uh, when John is saying that he is not writing a new commandment, but an old one, he's telling the truth. This was all laid out very clearly in the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. You know, those ones we love to read, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right, kind of thing. Okay. Um, but the commandment to love had both an upward vertical component and also a sideways lateral component. We find the vertical component expressed in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, verse 4. You're familiar with this. It's called the Great Shema. Uh, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Uh, many people are actually surprised that this is in the Old Testament, in the, in the Pentateuch, in Deuteronomy specifically. They're like, what? I thought, I thought Jesus said that. Well, Jesus did say that, but he pulled it from Deuteronomy. Why? Because the same call is in both the Old and New Testaments. Because it's the same God who's communicating this truth in both Testaments. There's a very popular idea out there today that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament because the Old Testament seems much harsher and brutal and more law-driven. New Testament seems much more gracious and uh, more love-driven. And so a lot of people want to just get rid of the old and new, but you have to know both stories to have a complete picture of God. And the main call, believe it or not, wasn't to believe in God, although that is really important. Uh, it wasn't to serve God, although that's important also. It wasn't to study God, although that is also very important. What was the main call? The main call was to love him. To love the Lord your God with all your being. God is looking for those who will love him in spirit and in truth. You've got to combine both those pieces together. We should always remember that that is why we come on Sunday mornings. Why do we come on Sunday mornings? Because we love him. We come to honor, but more importantly, to express our love corporately together as a body of believers, a family who loves him. And again, love is not a have to. It's a get to, right? Always remember that. When you come there, we don't have to go to church. We get to go to church. And we learned that in COVID, didn't we? Boy, when it got threatened to be taken from us, that's the old, you know, paved paradise and put in a parking lot. You don't know what you got till it's gone. Boy, all of a sudden, that became really precious. Let's remember to keep it that way and keep it uh, in front of them that way. Uh, and what we're going to see is that John, what John's advocating and what he's pulling from is not anything new, but actually rather really old. It comes out of the first five books of the Bible. But the love in the Old Testament isn't only vertical. Uh, it's also to be expressed horizontally towards each other. This is found in Leviticus, your favorite quiet time material. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. That includes sisters, by the way. 
you got that right. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. It's interesting that God would use that terminology, that holding a grudge and taking vengeance uh, is on the same level. The commandment is emphasized with the admonition, I am the Lord. So this commandment comes directly from God. And the command is that we love our neighbors as ourselves. But then it's also at the same time a new commandment. How so? Well, it was lived out by Jesus in an incredibly fresh and relevant way. He put skin to it, so to speak, right? There was a person that we could look at. And John is saying, hey, we saw it in action. We, we saw it lived out. There has never been a life on this planet like the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. People can say all kinds of things, but when they read the Gospels, they go, that was an amazing person. That was incredible. Like the book of Hebrews tells us, he is a perfect reflection of the Father. So in Jesus, we see the heart of God the Father. And when asked what was the greatest commandment, he most famously said, this is in Mark 12, the most important is, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. What's he doing here? He's combining Deuteronomy and Leviticus, those passages we just looked at, but with a twist. And what's the twist? Well, the twist is that he is both the source and the object of that love. When Jesus was speaking, he was saying, you're looking at Yahweh. You're looking at the person who put that in place in the Old Testament. And I've now come to show up in the New Testament to give you a clearer picture. And I'm the same I am in the New Testament that I was in the Old Testament. That's the shock of the Bible. And John, again, is borrowing heavily from what he learned from Jesus. Look at how Jesus laid this out. See, see if this sounds familiar now at this point. Here's what Jesus said in John 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if, if what? If you have love for one another. Again, notice it is not our great biblical knowledge that is going to impress people. Although biblical knowledge is important. It's not our great technology, which isn't always so great. <laughs> but our gang does a great job, right? But it isn't the technology. It's our ability to love one another. John is pulling from his deep experience with Jesus and then kind of bringing it all together again with the hope that it would anchor people and that they would not be led astray because the Gnostics were pushing a different agenda. They were saying it was knowledge. It's the amount of knowledge you have. John's saying, no, no, not true. Uh, that's not the anchor. And this is precisely where we get in trouble. It's our failure to love one another 
and by consequence God as well, that has sunk us in the past, sunk the church in the past, and uh, sinks us in the present. Now you wouldn't think that that would be the case, right? After all, we profess much love. More songs, movies, and books have been written about love than any other single topic in the world. You would think with it being so celebrated, we'd have this down by now, <laughs> right? Uh, not so much. And even if the world hasn't, uh, one would certainly expect that we, the church, the redeemed, those saved by Christ, guided by the Holy Spirit, would have a corner on the market. We'd be really good at this stuff. Sadly, that's not the case either. See, here's the problem. We annoy and irritate each other. We push each other's buttons. We can be competitive, mean, and petty. And if you don't think so, just get married. As a result, the message can be greatly compromised and distorted. And John is calling everyone back. Go back to basics. Go back to first base. Start over again. Go back to the basic thing. Go back to the best thing. Love God with all your heart. Love each other the same way. Again, like I said, this is a shot at the Gnostics. Uh, their great target was knowledge, not love. Matter of fact, they were pretty infamous for not getting along with each other. And John is saying, great idea, wrong target. Here's the important inside take. If, you want to, if you're wondering what John is driving at, what's the take? More knowledge does not necessarily correlate into loving better. Let me say that again. More knowledge does not necessarily correlate to loving better. Knowledge how to love better is very valuable, but it doesn't necessarily translate into action or obedience. The Apostle Paul understood this uh, through his own personal journey. In 1 Corinthians, he writes this, he says, we know that we all possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up. In other words, makes me fat-headed, makes me big britches. But love builds up. Another translation would say edifies. Okay? i never forget story at camp, uh, junior high camp, I was actually giving a message very similar to this and saying that we're supposed to edify each other. And there were two kids down in like the second row here and they were mumbling and talking and I looked at them and the other, the other kid hits the one kid goes, boom, edify, stupid. <laughs> That's about how we get it, isn't it? Oh man, it's great. Um, if anyone imagines that he knows something, Paul goes on to say, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. In other words, Paul says, it all goes through the filter of love. If your knowledge is translating, articulating, moving through, producing fruit that is of love, then that knowledge is good. If it's just knowledge for the sake of knowledge, then that's really not producing anything. And so... One of the dangers we can have in the Christian community is the uh, same kind of pursuit of knowledge, uh, the pursuit of Bible studies. Nothing wrong with them. Hear the balance in this. But we can pursue all that and still not really love God or really love each other. And God's saying, I appreciate you're putting in such great effort. 
but you've got to love me and you've got to love the people around you. We somehow want to get around that. So that brings up the question this morning as we're sitting there. You want Steve to meddle, let me meddle. Why are you here this morning? Why are you here this morning? First of all, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad you're online watching. Uh, I'm deeply grateful that you are. But why are you here? Again, it's an issue of motive. It's not what you're doing, but why are you doing what you're doing? Are you here this morning because you love him? Now, of course, the worst violators, let me take the target off of you. The worst violators of this are not the people in the seats, but the people in the pulpit or the people on stage. There are a myriad of reasons why a pastor might be at church on Sunday morning. Very few of which have to do with the fact that he loves God. But a good pastor, a good shepherd, will be here primarily because one, he loves God, and then number two, he loves his people. And everything else works out from that. But just as that's true for the pastor, so it's true for the congregation. There can be lots of reasons why people come to church. Very few of which have to do with loving God. Uh, a good congregant, just like a good pastor, will be there primarily because they love God. It won't primarily be for knowledge, although knowledge is good and that's why we do this. It won't primarily be for getting needs met, although that often happens as well and one of the great perks and benefits of coming to church. Uh, it won't be for friends, although many friends are here, right? Uh, but am I here this morning because I love God? If we love God, then we're going to be deeply in love with Jesus. And if we love Jesus, we will lovingly follow the coaching and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And if we are lovingly following the coaching and the leadership of the Holy Spirit, then we'll be deeply engaged in this thing called fellowship. Fellowship is a fancy word for, I love you. Right? These are the Apostles John's tracks. These are the rails that he's running down in this epistle. And this is his exhortation to the church. Thus he says uh, in 1 John here, verse 8, chapter 2, verse 8, At the same time, I was writing you an old commandment. Now at the same time, I'm writing you a new commandment, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and true light is already shining. In other words, John is saying love has been revealed uh, in the same way in the New Testament it was in the Old, because, but it's in a new and a deeper way. God did something um, stunning in the revelation of Jesus. Love has been revealed in the person of the Lord Jesus himself. And what's the marker? What's the, the measure, whether love is being expressed or not? Here's how John lays it out. Verses 9 through 11. Look at what he says. Whoever says he is in the light, and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. In other words, John is saying it's over how we treat and react to other people that tells me whether I'm walking in the light or not. 
John taps into something really profound here. It's how we treat each other. If we love each other, John is saying we are walking in the light. If we don't, then we're stumbling in the darkness. Now, let's stop for a second, okay? I know you're going along. I know your mind is working with me and you're sitting there thinking. Hate is a pretty strong word, right? As a parent, what did you always tell your kids? We don't hate anybody. Hate is wrong, right? That's what parents, you guys will be finding that out soon. You'll be saying that, okay? All right? Uh, it's a pretty strong word for most of us. If I pointed a finger this morning and said, who do you hate? You'd be going, ah, 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 why nobody, you know, right? You just could be kind of freaking out over the whole thing. But ask in a different way. If I said, who do you resent? Who bugs you or irritates you? Who drives you crazy internally? There might be a much greater recognition of the problem. Jim Wilson in his booklet on how to be free from bitterness says that he believes the sin of bitterness, which is resentment gone toxic, right? Bitterness is toxic resentment. He says that bitterness uh, is a major hindrance to revival in this country. In other words, Revival is stuck not because of the unbelievers in the country. Revival is stuck because of the believers in the country. And why it's stuck is we're hung up on lack of forgiveness and, we're, and bitterness. Um, we covered this, by the way, uh, in the series Lose the Baggage. And if you want to go back and look at that, you can look at that. Uh, Neil Anderson, in his book The Bondage Breaker, says that after helping thousands of Christians find their freedom in Christ... He can testify, and this is his testimony, that the sin of unforgiveness is the major reason that people remain in bondage to the past. That's on page 72, by the way, if you want to find it. Last week we showed that diagram, right, of the needle moving, and uh, you all love that diagram so much. And uh, it was meant to show what... Uh, walking in the darkness versus walking in the light look like? How you could kind of evaluate in your life which side of the line are you operating on? John here says that the demarcation line as to whether you are walking in the light or darkness has to do with whether you walk in love or hate with your brother or sister in the Lord. Remember John's previous instructions? Uh, look at verses 5 and 6 again just to go back to it, by this we may know that we are in him. In other words, if you want to know if you're in Christ, John says, here's how you know. If you want to know if you're okay with the Lord, that you are in right standing with him, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That's kind of daunting. John says there's a parallel, there's a connection between how we love each other and how we love God. At the end of chapter 4 in 1 John, we're going to see he actually asked the question, how can you say you love God whom you can't see when you don't love your brother who you can see? He says, don't fool yourself. Don't kid yourself. 
If you're walking around in animosity, you're walking around holding grudges, you're walking around bitterness, you're walking around with unforgiveness, don't kid yourself that you and God are tight because the two don't go together. You can't say you love God whom you don't see when you don't love the people you do see. Why? Because Jesus loved people. Why do we know that? For God's soul, what? Love the world that he gave to stinky, messy people, right? You're saying they're not easy to love. Well, Jesus knew that and he came anyways. Aren't you glad? I am. So we have to become like him. We have to learn to love stinky, messy people. Half the time, which are us. Now, if, if, if you're like me, having just heard that, this is the point where you get really discouraged and disheartened. Thanks a lot. I'm going to cry in my bowl of soup and go home. Right, kind of thing. And I think, uh, I think John recognized that as well. And so he does a really cool flip right here. Uh, he includes what is called the great encouragement section to follow this up with. The commentaries point out that this next section really is kind of prose or lyrical in nature. Um, and it carries the flavor or, or the tone of, in spite of what he's saying, he's going, you got this. You can do this. You, you have done this. Look at John's encouragement to his readers. The first section says this, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Notice the categories, little children, fathers, and then young men. Uh, Nobody really knows why John ordered it that way. You would have thought he had gone children, young men, fathers, right? And so he had something in mind uh, when he did that. But he follows the same pattern in the second stanza. He says this, I write to you children because you know the Father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you've overcome the evil one. And we're going, why is he repeating himself? He said, already said it once. Is he just bored or did he run out of material? No, what he's trying to do is anchor this. When you want to anchor something with your kids, what do you do? Repeat it. And when you repeat it, what do they say to you? I know, right? Are you sure? Uh, I would walk around my house and it didn't matter which one of the kids, but if they were there, I'd go, hey, do you know your dad loves you? Yes. No, no. Do you know your dad loves you? Yes, I know you love Do you know that your dad loves you? Yes, I know you love Do you know that you're... You know, and they, yes, okay, because I want you to know your dad loves you, all right? That's what John's doing here. He's, he's hitting on three main brackets in the church. If you think about it, right, you've got the young people, you've got the middle people, you've got the older people, right? You've got the kids, you've got the young adults, and you've got, you got the adults. And he's, he's talking to those three. And the encouragements he gives are, your sins are forgiven in his namesake. Don't ever forget that. You've been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Number two, you know him who is from the beginning, right? It says that before the foundation of the world, Jesus was with the Father. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and the Word was with God. You've known him who's from the beginning. And then the third one is you have overcome the evil one. 
You are doing it. You are breaking the ties. You're breaking the strongholds. You're breaking the generational sin. You're breaking the generational train coming down the tracks. You're breaking the lies that are thrown out your way. You're, you're tracking on truth. You're doing this. And so he more or less repeats himself as a kind of double encouragement, just like a parent would. If you didn't get it the first time, let me tell you again. Look in my eyes, round two. Ding! Right? <laughs> What's John saying? Again, you've got this. You know him and you know what to do. I'm proud of you. You, my friends, are walking with God. Stay strong. Stay close. Lean in. Keep walking the way he, Jesus, walked. And that was great advice and encouragement for them, and it's great advice and encouragement for us. John repeated his encouragement, so let me repeat mine as well. You got this. You guys know how to do this. You know him and you know what to do. I am proud of you as your pastor, and I want you to know that. You are my friends, and you are walking with God. Stay close. Stay strong. Lean in. Stay in the word. Keep praying. Keep walking the way he, Jesus, walked. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for John's encouragement. It's as basic as elementary school and as difficult as a PhD. Father, all of us know what it means to love someone. And all of us know how hard it is to carry that out. Uh, we do pretty good when things are going our way. We don't do so good when it doesn't. And Father, this morning, on I don't know what levels, you have probably illuminated a number of illustrations and a number of life circumstances that are unknown to me, but are known to you and the, the person you're speaking to. You highlighted them. You illustrated them. You lit them up by the light of your spirit. That's what we have to go on this week, Lord, is that light that you gave us today. So we seek you for that. Pray that we wouldn't forget it as we walk out the door. We pray that you would get us to ponder this and think deeply, what does it mean to love you? And what does it mean deeply to love the other people around us? We ask for your favor in that in your name. Amen.